Proverbs 17, 17. The Bible says these words. It says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This week as I was thinking about this topic of friendship, I was reminded of two other men. (laughs) Two other men that forged a friendship through their own set of difficult circumstances as well. And for the young people, I showed you that video, but for those of us who are a little bit older, you may remember, and maybe you've only heard folklore about them, a couple of men that played for the Chicago Bears years ago, Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo. Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo. Gail Sayers, a young black man that was playing football, and Brian Piccolo, uh, a Caucasian man, they were drawn together in an un- unlikely unique friendship. Listen, back in the 1960s, it was unheard of for these two men to be friends, and yet they were drawn extricably to one another because they had a difficult set of circumstances. I think about Gail Sayers. If you study Gail Sayers' history, you know that his football career was being threatened by a life-ending knee uh, injury. And it was Brian Piccolo that worked with his friend and encouraged his friend and propelled his friend to overcome that injury. But as soon as Gail Sayers got better, it was found out that Brian Piccolo was facing the greatest fight of his life, the fight of cancer. There were no cures at that time. Treatments weren't such as today. In fact, I was doing some research on Brian Piccolo. They said that if Brian Piccolo had the cancer that he had in the 1960s today, that he would have been able to be treated and most likely would have been able to overcome the cancer that he faced. But they were drawn together by this this friendship. They they encouraged one another, they strengthened one another, and they supported one another, which reminds me of another passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The Bible says these words. It's incredible that we see the Bible telling us some things that we can actually put to use in our life. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And verse 10 says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. The truth is, guys, we all need friends. Anybody in here say, I don't need any friends? You're telling yourself a lie if that's what you say. We all need friends because there's times that you and I will face distress. There's times in our life that we'll feel detached, disapproved, and deserted by some in some way, shape, or form. I mean, (laughs) talked last week about loneliness. There's times that we all feel loneliness no matter what you're going through. And yes, I think about this. When you kind of take a, a, an accountability of your own life, you probably would say, I have a lot of, a, of acquaintances, but I have very few friends. A true friend is a rare thing, but it certainly is a special gift. You know, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, defines the word friend like this. It says, one that is attached to another by affection or esteem. However, I like this other idea that someone has offered a simple definition. They said this, a friend is the person who walks in after everybody else walks out. I like that. Isn't that good? A friend is the person who actually walks in when everybody else walks out and says, you know what, I'm done with you. You made too many mistakes. You're such a sinner. I hate you. I'm going to walk out. No, you're not my friend. 
If you're my friend, you're going to hang out. You're going to see through. If you're my friend, you're going to actually look at Galatians 6.1 and restore me in a spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest you also be tempted. And so friends are very rare, very hard to find. I think about Scripture. Scripture reveals friends all over Scripture. You think about Moses. In fact, this is such a great story. Moses and Jethro, his father-in-law. It's such a great story because I was such great friends with my father-in-law. My father-in-law and I were like this. The Lord took him home in 2003. And I can't even imagine what he would think now to see his grandsons all grown up and everything. But man, we had such a great friendship. I think about David and Jonathan. Uh, and their special friendship that they had, Elijah and Elisha. I think about Paul and Timothy and Jared. We were talking about yesterday, and you were even talking about Barnabas and John Mark. You remember John Mark comes along with Barnabas and, and Paul, and they go on the first missionary journey, and we know that John Mark, he actually quits. For whatever reason, he quits. He says, nah, this isn't for me. He goes back, and, and then they get ready for their second journey, and, and Barnabas says, hey, let's get John Mark. And Paul's like, no, we're not taking Mark. He's a quitter. Right in this portion of Scripture. Now, we later understand that Paul had a great affection for John Mark because he said he was profitable for him to bring him to him. But at this point, they separate. Barnabas and Paul actually separate over the friendship that Barnabas shows to Mark. I think about Paul and Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, he's in a Roman prison. And he says over and over, he tells Timothy, he says, man, come to me. Come to me, I want to see you. And when you come to me, bring my parchments, bring this. And, and he talks about his friendship with Timothy and he wants him to come see him. And not only does he talk about Timothy, because a lot of people will put Paul with Timothy, but he talks about this guy in chapter 1 that a lot of people, if, you don't, if you're not careful, you kind of like glaze over it and you don't really see it. He talks about this guy Onesiphorus. And he says in 2 Timothy 1, uh, verses 16 and, uh, 16, 17 to 18, Paul says these words. He says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain, but was, was, uh, was, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and he found me. Listen, a friend is somebody who walks in when everybody else walks out. If you read chapter 4, you understand that Paul says when he had to give up and give testimony for his life, he says, no man stood with me. But here in chapter 1, he says, not only did Onesiphorus oft refresh me, but he said he was diligent to find me, and he came into me. And then he says this in verse 18, he says, the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy in the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, Thou knowest very well. So he tells Timothy, he says, hey, you know the deal with Onesiphorus. He was a friend to me when everybody else wasn't. Today, we celebrate our friendship and our love for Jared. And by extension, Leah. Jared, we'll always be friends. I was thinking about this. This is a kind of a weird day. We're saying farewell, but we don't say goodbye. Because we will see one another again. We've talked about, we may serve with one another again. Who knows? I think about those lyrics, Jared, of a song that I sang on this platform many, many years ago. You were probably about two when I sang those. I don't know. You're, 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 okay, you were six. You were six, whatever. All right. So I sang this song years ago, Jared. Friends are friends forever. 
Anybody here remember me singing those songs? Some of you old timers and maybe some of you middle-aged timers. I sang this song. I sang, he's like, am I an old timer? I sang this song, friends are friends forever. And here's what the chorus says, Jared. It says, a friends are friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them. A friend will not say never because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard, it's hard to let you go. But in the Father's hands, we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Oh yes, truly a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity as the Bible says. Oh, true friends are rare indeed. But the Bible reveals, folks, Travis read all about it in John chapter 15. The Bible reveals the greatest friend of all. And I want to talk to you about him for just a couple of minutes because we showed that long video, and so I don't want to labor it. I don't want to take too much of your time. But i got to tell you about the greatest friend of all. Oh, what a friend indeed is Jesus. Jesus is the greatest friend of all, and I want to encourage you. Listen, uh, if you don't know him, I want to encourage you to trust him today. He is our greatest friend. And so if you're a note taker, I just want to give you these thoughts here. A friendship with Jesus actually creates connectivity. You saw the connectivity between uh, D'Artagnan and Leroy. When you enter into a friendship with Jesus, it creates connectivity. In fact, in John chapter 15 and verse number 4 and 5, these are the words of Jesus. He actually says these words. He says, abide in me. Now that's kind of crazy. He's like, abide in me. And so we have to wrap our head around that. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. And then he says these, these strange words in, in verse number 5. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In these two simple verses of Scripture, Jesus is actually saying that there is a bond, there's a connectivity that exists between friends. He was speaking to his disciples, and later on in the passage, as Travis read, he says, I henceforth call you no more servants, I'm calling you friends. See, he's saying there's a connectivity that takes place amongst friends. And when we enter into the friendship with Jesus, not only are we earthly satisfied, but we are eternally satisfied. In verse number 1 of John chapter 15, Jesus starts this passage by saying to his, to his disciples, he says, I am the vine. What he says when he's saying, I am the vine and the father is the husbandman, he's speaking about God the father. But in that phrase when he says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is, I'm the real deal. I'm the real deal. Listen, my, my vine, me as the vine, is the thing that's going to give you strength for your soul. You're not going to have strength apart from me. And so this is what he's saying. And then in verse 5, we already read it. He reminds us that we can do nothing without him. Oh, listen, a true friend is a faithful friend. Jesus is our faithful friend. We know that from Scripture, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And yet, I think many times... Man, we got to be careful. We take him for granted. We're like, oh, he's not going to leave me nor forsake me, so I'll just do what I want to do. Jesus, Jesus is committed, but what about us? And so I have to ask ourselves the question. I put these thoughts down. True friendship involves relationship. I have a friendship with my wife, all right? And it is a relationship. Listen, that means that you're going to spend time with one another. Oh, listen, the, a friendship with Jesus creates connectivity. 
But is it based on a relationship? Are you spending time with Him? A true friendship involves trust. Someone to share our lives with. Someone to share our thoughts, our feelings. And yeah, even our frustrations. We get frustrated. Anybody ever in here ever get frustrated beside me? I got three honest people. All right? I mean, y'all, let's be honest. Last night when I changed the clocks around the building here, I was frustrated. Because it's like 5.30, and in one fail swoop, it's like 6.30. I'm like, whoa, what happened? It even gets worse. When I crawl into bed, and that, and that thing goes from 10 o'clock, I'm like, 11 o'clock already. Man, I, we get frustrated, right? But having a real, true friendship means that you can share your frustrations with somebody that loves you and cares about you. True friendship requires also accountability. See, we're accountability to one another. Jesus, we have this connectivity that's created in the greatest friend I know, but he encourages us. But the real cool part about a friendship with Jesus, not only does he encourage us from his word, he actually forgives us. Anybody ever had a friend that never forgave? I would dare say that's probably not a good friend. See, Jesus is a friend who will never leave you nor forsake you, but he's also a friend that actually says, if you will confess your sin, he says, I'm faithful and just, I'll forgive you. I'm going to forgive you of your sin and of all unrighteousness. Oh yeah, true friendship requires accountability. And then a true friendship is based on love. We love our friends no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are. You see, Jesus, he looked beyond our faults. See, he sees me, he sees a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. And, but here's what he did. When he loved me enough to die for me, he says, hey, look at that sinner, that ugly little sinner there. He says this, he looks beyond my sin. See, watch, he overlooks it. Here's Greg, he overlooks my sin and says, I see the possibility, I see the future that he himself can't even see. And so I'm going to love him with a love like he's never experienced in his life. Oh, a true friendship with Jesus. Oh, my goodness. How amazing is that? It creates connectivity. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. But it goes on. It says, And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know, in my life, I've been down the valley many a time. And it's typically that it's not the multitude of so-called friends that come to my rescue. You know who comes to my rescue? It's usually that one, that one friend that I can pray with, the one that I can, I, can, I can share my heart with, the one that knows me almost better than I know myself. It's usually not the multitudes of people. That's why I say true friendship is really rare. And with Jesus, we have it all in one place. Oh, secondly, a friendship with Jesus will no doubt also, it'll create connectivity, but it will no, also no doubt uh, yield fruit. You see, in verse number 8 of John chapter 15, Jesus said this. He says, here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. It's like, why is Jesus talking to me like I'm a fruit tree? I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why, that's a lot, a lot of people say, that's why I have problems with Jesus. He's talking like he's talking to a fruit tree. That's because he's the vine. He's trying to give us a word picture of what's going on in our life and our connectivity to him. But he says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. If you actually drop down to verse number 16, he reconfirms this idea when he says these words. He says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He says, I've chosen you as friends. If you're here this morning 
and you have Christ. You've trusted Christ. The reason you trusted Christ is because he chose you. He said, I've chosen you. I've revealed myself to you. And if you're here this morning, you say, man, I've never even trusted Christ. I don't even know how to trust Christ. I'm not really sure I'm interested in trusting Christ. I pray you are. But he said, you know, you may be saying, I'm not real sure about this guy, Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, he is the one that will open up your heart today to allow you to recognize, like I recognize as a 13-year-old boy, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner, and I can't do anything about it. You know what? As a 51-year-old man going on 52, I'm still a sinner, and I can't do anything about that, but Jesus can. Jesus said, I forgive you. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that redeems us and saves our soul. And so a friendship will no doubt yield fruit. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask in the Father, uh, of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I think about Ephesians chapter 2 where the Bible talks about the fact that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The reality is that as branches, we are his fruit. Right? We're, as branches, we are his fruit. We're connected to the vine that produces fruit. But as fruit, we have a mission to go out and bear more fruit. Now, I know some of you are saying, you can't bear fruit. Well, in a sense, you're correct. In a sense, you're correct. Some plant, some water, we know from Scripture, and God gives the increase. But it makes our responsibility no less. You see, Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. But he still wants us to reach out. And do what we can. And the only way that we have an impact out here, watch this, the only way we have an impact out here is that we remain connected to the life source. If we're not connected to the life source and we're trying to do stuff in our own power, we're going to be miserable. We're going to wear ourselves out. We're going to be miserable. And it's not going to work. I put it this way. Everybody looks for the hashtag. Here it is. Branches need the vine to survive. But the vine needs its branches to thrive. Think about it again. The branches need the vine to survive, but the vine needs its branches to thrive. In Genesis 49, 22, the Bible speaking of Joseph. Man, Joseph is a dude that saw a lot of things. It says these words. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. In other words, and you like look at that, you're like, what? What is that, what is that saying? What does that mean? Well, here's the imagery that's being given there. Joseph's life was like a tree loaded with fruit, is what this is talking about. See, you say, well, why, does it, why is this talking about that it's loaded with fruit? It says, well, it's a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well. That well imagery there is the, the imagery that we see in Psalm 1, verse 3. A tree planted by the river of waters. Remember, the psalmist said, blessed is the man. Right? A tree planted by the rivers of water. And so Joseph was like that tree. He was connected to the life source. In fact, if you read all through Joseph's story from Genesis, I think 37, you see it on and on. You can see that the Lord is with Joseph every step of the way. When his brothers throw him into the pit, when he's sold into slavery, when he's thrown into prison, and on and on, on, and on when he comes to Potiphar's house, and, and then even when he's working for Pharaoh, the Bible again and again reveals to us that the Lord was with Joseph. Yes, a true friendship with Jesus will no doubt 
yield fruit when we're connected to Christ. And then it's also important to know that a friendship with Jesus is made possible only by his sacrifice. There's nothing that I can do to enter into that friendship. It's all been done by Jesus Christ the righteous. In fact, Travis read that verse, verse number 13, that says these words, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, I, I, I will not go there, but I'm thankful for passages in like Mark chapter 11 and Luke chapter 7 that talk about the fact that Jesus himself was a friend of publicans and sinners. If you're here this morning, I want you to know he's a friend of sinners. You say, I qualify. We all qualify. He's our friend is what the Bible says. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, if you have your Bible, look at Romans chapter 5. I want you to see this for yourself to, so that you know that it's actually in God's word and not just up on the screen. In Romans chapter 5, notice what the Bible says. In verse number 1, it says these words, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and that patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now notice these words, verse number 6, here's the key. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now stop. I want you to understand that that word ungodly means the irreverent. That word ungodly means the wicked. That word ungodly means ungodly. That means us. He died for us. The ungodly. Keep reading. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse number 8. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth, if you've never seen it before, basically what it's saying in verse 8 is that God proved or displayed his love for us. Here's the picture. God desires to have a friendship with everybody in this room. And everybody that listens through our podcast or whatever, however you hear this message, I want you to know that God desires to have a friendship with you. And his desire was so great. We know the verse that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. But here in verse number 8, God's desire to have friendship with you is so incredibly great that he actually went to the length of proving it. How many times have you proved your friendship with an earthly friend? How many times have you been called upon to stand up and tell your friend the truth? How many times have you been able to show that person that you are a friend? God, before you ever even accept the offer of his friendship, has already proved it. He's proved that he wants to be your friend. It's crazy to me that we would understand that and not want 
to have a friendship back with him. But it's only made possible through a sacrifice. I was telling Gordon earlier this morning, we were talking, and I was doing some research. Early North American Indians had no written alphabet. This is crazy to me. They had no written alphabet, and yet their vocabulary was so extensive. In fact, it, it was anything but primitive. In fact, they had a, a, a vocabulary that was as large as their French and English counterparts, and, it, and often it was said that their expressions were far more eloquent than even we use today in the English language. Now, here's what I found. One of the Indian tongues, when translated to English, uh, the word used for friend actually means this. Now, check this out. The word friend actually means the one who carries my sorrows on his back. Now listen, Isaiah 53, 4 tells us that somebody epitomized that old Indian word language for friend in what he did for us. Isaiah 53, 4 says this, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and there it is, and carried our sorrows. The greatest friend that you could ever have is the one who picked up all of the sorrows of the world, placed him on his back, and he carried him away like a ship sailing the sea, never to return again. And his name is Jesus. He bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. This is exactly what our Lord did. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. You know the song. Oh, John 14, 6, Jesus said to his disciples that night when he told him, he said, guess what? I'm getting ready to go away. He says, but I want you to know something before I go away. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. Guys, if you've been playing church, we're all guilty of that sometimes, aren't we? Play church. If you've been playing church and you think you're connected to Christ because of your denomination, I want you to know you're mistaken. The only thing that connects you to Christ is Christ himself. The one who willingly laid down his life for you. The connection comes when we actually believe he is who he says he is. When we receive him by faith. When we repent of our sin and we say, hey, I'm in trouble. I need a friend. Jesus, I want to trust you as not only my friend, but I want to trust you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Oh, a friendship with Jesus is made possible by a sacrifice. Verse 13 again said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. What a friend. And then lastly, and I close it up and wrap it up. A friendship with Jesus is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Yes, look at verse number 14. Because Jesus himself said these words. After he says, no greater love hath man than a man lay down his life for his friends, he says, and ye are my friends. And notice the word right there in the middle, right after the comma. What does he say? If. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command. Listen, a friendship with Jesus is going to be somewhat reciprocal. It's a mutual friendship. Listen, Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us, but what about our end of the bargain? What are we to do? How are we to live out our faith? How are we to live out our friendship? And so I ask the question, how are we doing? If you say you're a friend of Jesus, right? If you walk out of here and you say, yeah, 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 I get it, I'm a friend of Jesus. How are you living your life today? Because it speaks volumes. 
I think about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse number 36, 37, and 38. He said these words. It says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I asked a real difficult question. And I want you to ask yourself the qu this question. Can Jesus count on me? Can Jesus count on me? Can Jesus count on you? Because you see, a friendship with Jesus is a two-way street. See, we love the fact that it creates connectivity. We love the fact that we talk about bearing fruit. We love the fact that when we say a friendship with Jesus is made possible by his sacrifice. But what about us? If we're truly a friend of Jesus, don't we have a responsibility? Don't we have a part to play in this friendship? Listen, if we're truly friends with Jesus, we're not only going to stand up for him, but we're going to want to know more about him. We're going to want to know more about him through his word. We're going to want to know more about him through worship. And we're going to want to know more about him through our service for our Lord and Savior. And so I ask you this morning, are you connected with Christ? Are you bearing fruit? Here's one. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for the sacrifice and friendship that you can have in Christ? And then lastly, I ask you, are you living fully for Christ? Now here's the reality. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I don't have money in my pocket, but if I did, I'd pay you to place your faith and trust in Christ. That's how important it is. But let me just tell you, not only from an earthly standpoint of a, a $1, $10 bill, it's important for your eternity. You see, because the Bible talks about this after this life, talks about the fact that there comes this, this word that we don't like to talk about. We like to talk about it when it's our kid in Walmart, and we tell our kid, Quit, get your hand off that toy, because I'm going to wreak judgment on you here in a minute, right? We don't like to talk about it in a biblical sense. But the reality is, it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the Bible says there comes this thing called a judgment. Now for those that place their faith in Christ, the judgment is not a terrible thing to face. Because on that day, when the accuser of the brethren, when the one who seeks to destroy your life, when the one who seeks to, to annihilate your family, he starts accusing you, our Lord and Savior will stand up and he will say, not guilty. Oh, this guy's guilty. He's a sinner. He did this. He did that. He did that. He treated his wife this way. His wife treated her kids this way. Blah, blah, blah. And go on and, and accuse, accuse, accuse. Accusing the brethren. And Jesus will stand up and say, Hey, Dad, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. And so for no other reason than that. Oh, my goodness. Why wouldn't you want to have a friend in Jesus? Oh, what a friend in Jesus that we can have today. I beg you, trust Christ. Don't walk out of this place and head off to some restaurant. Don't head home and eat nachos or chili and then figure out later on, I should have trusted Christ. Because I can tell you this, the devil will tell you, you can do that tomorrow. You heard this crazy little white-headed preacher? You can do that tomorrow. But let me just tell you something. 
God's not a respecter of persons. The Bible says our life is like a vapor. It appears for a while and then it vanisheth away. My mother passed away at the young age of 40 years. I was 10 years old when she passed away. Nobody's guaranteed. We're not even guaranteed the rest of today, let alone tomorrow. Say, that will never happen to me. It happened to a friend of mine who was 46 years old, dropped dead after running. Uh, happened to childhood friends. We've all known children who've passed away way, way too early. Oh, yes, the Lord wants to be your friend today. And so I beg you, if you've never trusted Christ, trust him. Because he said these words, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, he said, I call you not servants. For the servants knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. If you know him, I'm challenging you. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I'm challenging you. If you know Christ, if he's your friend, I'm challenging you, Battlefield Baptist Church. I'm challenging you, visitor or guest. I'm challenging you to live fully for Christ. And if you don't know Christ... You say, I'm just here for a special day and you've scared me and I probably will never come back. Then do me a favor, whether you ever come back or not. If you don't know Christ, I'm begging you today that you will see your need and you'll receive Christ as your Savior. That you'll say, God, I'm a sinner and I don't understand it all, but I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to come into my life and I need you to change me from the inside out. And I don't even know what that looks like right now, but God, I'm trusting that if you could do all of this, if you could create the heavens and the earth, I'm just guessing that you could do that for my soul. I beg you to trust Christ while you have the opportunity. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.